Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 17 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a duet of priceless gems found inside a Christmas cracker of a show lined up for you today. The festive season is upon us. I hope you are all wearing your Christmas jumpers readily. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with hypnotherapists, NLP practitioners and authors, the English sisters. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also content on some of the content of that. We then return with our professional discussion with my guests, the English sisters, this week. I shall be exploring their experiences and approaches regarding stress management. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something that I want to encompass, a feeling of embracing diversity celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approaches and stances, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have great respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all today is this week's interview. I'm absolutely delighted to be welcoming Violetta and Yutka Zugo, the English sisters to Hypnosis Weekly. I must say it is a lovely and refreshing change for me to be introducing and talking to a couple of lovely ladies here. Apart from being aware of the online pages and accounts of the English sisters, I had not actually met or spoken to them until we organised the podcast recording. Unlike most of our guests that I've had the opportunity to meet in real life, so I wasn't sure what to expect at first. The beauty of modern technology is that I could be chatting away to them at their base in Rome while sat here in Bournemouth. I'm always humbled by people who speak numerous languages and the English sisters have a passion for language and I think you'll spot that passion with ease. They were and are incredibly lovely. We'll look at one of their areas of expertise later on in this episode. For now, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea, wrap yourself warmly in your snazzy festive sweater and enjoy this week's interview. So, 
as I've just been discussing, I am delighted to be today joined on Hypnosis Weekly by the English Sisters. Welcome to Hypnosis Weekly, the English Sisters. Hello, thank you for having us. Oh, I, I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you for joining us. Now then, let's, let, let's get straight into our interview today. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this field. So tell me about, about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. Well, it all started with a fascination, I think, uh, for languages. Yeah. We grew up in a bilingual home where my mother, our mother was Spanish yeah. and, and our father was Hungarian. But he didn't really speak much Hungarian. We really, we actually spoke, we spoke Spanish at home, and then we had Corsi English at school. Yeah. And we were already rather fascinated with the use of the, the, the um, how, I suppose it was how we would choose the different words according to what we wanted to express. Yeah. And that was quite interesting. And then it, later on, obviously, as adults, we, we came to find out about NLP and we started to study that and then hypnosis was, um, well we realised that hypnosis was at the, um, was the root of NLP really so we went on to study hypnosis but it was really fascinating how sort of NLP sort of made sense of how language affects the brain and what we've been feeling all along so it was something that was very natural to us so we sort of we identified with it very easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated with, I, I'm also fascinated with language and the impact and the, the effect it has on people. With One of the things I find quite often is when people come from overseas onto my courses, I'm always very interested how NLP language patterning, for example, and some of the emphasis translates with other languages. Is it is it as easy in your experience? it is because it's not so much about the language patterns it is about the language patterns but it's also about the tones of voice and yeah. the intonation and the going there first so if so if you're in a like in a hypnotic trance you're going to take the person you're talking to there right yeah. because yeah. we do a lot of work with italians and our italian is good because we've been here for 20 years and we yeah. already have we like languages, but we notice there's no way in the world that it's going to be the same as in English. No. Yeah. Language patterns aren't going to be the same, and yet they're just as effective. Just as effective. Which is quite shocking to us sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I find that very interesting indeed. Yeah, um, interesting. So, so when we look, when we look then at... Um, at, at hypnosis itself, I mean, I mean specifically hypnosis. How do you how do you explain it? I mean, I mean, if you ever get stuck in the corner with someone at a party and they're really interested about your hypnosis work, what how do you explain it to them? And perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you arrived at that definition. You know, if if you have a a finite definition of hypnosis to offer. But, I mean, we think all, all uh, communication is hypnosis and it's either positive or helpful or not helpful. Mm. Mm. So, really, but when we explain it to our clients, we sort of say it's effective communication and we also say it'll help you access the relaxation response in you. Yeah. The relaxation response, which is um, the, obviously the opposite to the stress response. 
Yeah. And most people understand that very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And they often say, yeah, I would like to access that relaxation response and how do you do it? And we just tell them that we use hypnosis to get them into a particular state of mind, which is a relaxed state of mind where healing takes place and uh, yeah. we explain what happens. And they seem to, that, that seems to be, it's not, it's not a kind of a scary way of saying it really, because if you just say, you just simply access a relaxation response. I mean, we have no trouble with that at all with our clients. No, mm. and we mm. have quite skeptical clients. And yeah, yeah. And then they'll go into arm catalepsy and all sorts of things. Yeah. They just accept it as part of the relaxation response, response yeah. rather than thinking, oh, I've been hypnotized by a hypnotist, which we don't really like because it's, we think it disempowers the, the, the person, disempowers mm. the client. Yeah, most of our clients are doctors at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw that you gave a presentation recently yeah. um, um, at, at, at a medical facility. Um, yeah. um, it's something I want to ask you about later on, because um, um, we're going to be discussing uh, your, your approach to stress management and stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in that. And, and, you know, and heck, doctors can be a you know, fairly sceptical bunch. <laughs> you, you know, well, that's uh, right. Yeah. But yeah. They, yeah. They, they take to the relaxation response extremely well, especially because... It was a professor of medicine at the Harvard Medical School who actually started talking about this relaxation response, which yeah. is Herbert Benson in the first place. So it's mm. something that they resonate with, and um, it's just really easy to take them there. Yeah, great, great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested with regards to, um, um, with regards to this, this some of the, the stress management stuff that we're going to be discussing later on. Um, um, but what I'm also really interested in, do, do you do hypnosis with your clients together? Oh, yes. yes. So, so the English sisters come as a unit, so to speak. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, I love that idea. I, yes. you, you know, you, I, um, 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 if only you were based down here in the south of Bournemouth. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, I would love to go along and have uh, a session with two hypnotherapists at the same time. Lovely. Well, we do Skype sessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? We'll, we'll put some time in afterwards, maybe. So, um, um, tell me a little bit about your, your your influences within this field. You know, are there some some authors, some books that have taught you the most, or have there been specific teachers that have been the most influential upon you? And perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the reasons why. Heard about NLP so with the Richard Bandler, so we started yeah. studying his work and everything, and that yeah. was very influential. And then uh, we heard about Paul McKenna, even though we'd already heard about him, but it was more you know, we studied him more. And yeah, Paul McKenna's great because he's actually brought hypnosis into uh, everyone's everyday lives in a mm. certain way, so he's become he's sort of demystified the whole thing. And then obviously Ericsson, because we we, uh, we studied with uh, Stephen Brooks. Yeah. Yeah, and he's an Ericksonian hypnotherapist, so it was all based on Ericksonian and Ericsson's work. Yeah. All the language patterns that we were talking about before, um, etc. So yes, all of these people have greatly influenced. So you felt yeah. that? Uh, did you feel yourself? being pulled in that direction or did you make a specific you know did you did you purposely want to go and explore that specific and that that, that part of the field well that's where I think we were pulled into that because that's what we were most fascinated by and yeah uh, that's what we really when we discovered it we were just so passionate about it and I think that's because it 
Yeah. I think band differences between band and resonated yeah. with us more rather than um, John Grinder because of his like more. Um, he has like a more flowing, non-technical style, and we're not really technical people. Sure. So going all into the really ins and outs of all the little NLP technical stuff isn't really our cup of tea. Sure. So we like to see the big picture then just we're very creative, we write books and stories, so we like to see the big picture and then take from that what we can and, and learn from it and then utilize it in our work. Yeah, and also we discovered that the use of metaphor for ourselves personally was extremely powerful. Yeah. And so we 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 came to realize that it was if it was powerful for us, imagine how powerful it would be for others as well. Sure, sure. So we really do. We really started loving this thing. So you had some personal experience of it benefiting you, did you? Prior oh, absolutely. And, and, th and then you were sold on it. Oh, yes, yes. In the beginning, it was all personal because everything we learned, we applied it, we immediately applied it to ourselves, and then we would talk about it nonstop for hours. <laughs> because there's two of us, so we would both be studying at the same time. And yeah. So it was just, a, it was amazing. Yeah, just talking about it nonstop, basically, for hours yeah. and hours, and applying it to each other if we couldn't apply it to anyone else. Yeah, and also the work of uh, Dr. Dave Dobson. We were in America with uh, Barbara yeah. Stepp, and she was telling us about Dr. Dave Dobson's fun shop. Yeah. And that also resonated because that was a very easy, it was an experiential way of learning where you don't have to, you learn on an unconscious level. Mm. Especially mm. for us, we just went there and we just absorb, absorb, and then we, we don't like studying much. <laughs> don't you? You, you 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 must not say that to me this is studying is my raison d'etre that, that's not true she's being very very studying our own way though don't we well, sure sure yeah. but but but, so, so, but it, it's the experiential side of the learning that you enjoy the most yeah. and so and so that and elaborate them for hours and hours so yeah Well, but, but also you love that you love the field that you work in, and, and I think when you work when you work in a field that you love and, and so on, uh, it doesn't really feel like work, and it doesn't really feel like study, perhaps. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, 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 I, I th this idea. Um, well, tell me a little bit about. I mean, you've given us an idea of some of the applications that have been um, um, impressive and that have really. Um, um, sort of sold you and had you feeling really committed to, to, to the processes. Tell me some of the more impressive applications of, of hypnosis or, or some of the, the, the other applications that you use within your work that have, that have impressed you the most. Well, by applications, could you define that? What do you mean? By well, you know, any of the stuff that you use really therapeutically or to aid your clients. Hmm. Well, we... we therapeutically we use like what we were saying before we use metaphor but we also um we also we also use a lot of reframing and um and yeah. a lot of uh, explaining about what limiting beliefs are and what what a belief is but really i think what's most impressive is about hypnotherapy and hypnosis in the field is the fact that um effective change can come about so easily yeah, absolutely. Without having to really struggle and the fact that there is help out there and it's so easy to, to, to get and to, to achieve. 
And what's really, I mean, if you think that under hypnosis, you can, you know, you can be operated on and have it like open, open body surgery where they take yeah. a hernia out or do something, you know, fix a hernia. It's absolutely amazing. What's really amazing is how amazing we are as human beings. That's absolutely. The fact yeah. that our minds are so capable of so much, and that we, when we learn how to, to, to use our minds and how to say control our minds, how to, to use what we're actually doing with our minds, there's no, there's no end to the possibilities we all have, and so it's so inspiring and exciting. Yeah, we're very excited to see the change that comes about our clients when we see them. Yeah, got one particular client now, and she's in. She's in the seventh session and she's doing extremely well. I mean, her, yeah. whole, her whole attitude on life has changed. Yeah. Um, I mean, that one of the things that really comes across, I think, not, not just from from hearing you talk about this subject, but also, you know, seeing the way you communicate yourselves online as well. You know, you have you have a great deal of passion for the subject matter. You have a great deal of enthusiasm for it. Um, do you think that creates expectation within your clients? And do you think that, that that sort of advances what you do therapeutically? I think it helps enthusiastic we are and I think that they can model that enthusiasm I, I think it makes them feel good it's like as if you're around if you're if you're with someone that's very you know negative or, or very down. depressed unfortunately yeah. you're not going to feel that great after a while mm. so I think the opposite is also true if you're with someone that's very enthusiastic and really believes in what they do just that positive intention of you know, really believing in what one does is going to yeah. help achieve yeah. a positive results. We feel absolutely, and, and as well as being being a good, because I, 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 you know, I absolutely agree with you there. You know, I think it's so important to be a good role model. You know, to provide the client with a, with a template, if you like, for, yeah. for for certain skills and certain ways of being. Um, do you do you draw upon some of that? Um, extensive experience that you talked about earlier where you applied everything to yourselves do you do you use that as well you know is, does that get drawn upon within your sessions with clients absolutely we use it all the time we give personal examples and we say we know how you feel we used to feel like that until we did this and i think that our clients can really um identify with us that yeah. they're not like some kind of weird hypnotherapy <laughs> because they are a weird bunch let's be honest <laughs> but they don't feel as if we're um, we're like perfect and we know it all and yeah. we tell them about what how we used to feel and what our beliefs used to be and um and they can see how far we've come as well and, yeah uh, and so they're, they're usually very inspired i would say yeah, yeah good good um now, when you, when you first started out in this field, um, I mean, you, you mentioned there that, you know, you, you've updated beliefs and you've been through a lot um, on personal levels. But on a professional level as well, you know, when you first started out um, examining the field of being a hypnosis professional, knowing what you know now, you know, with your experience, the books, the publications and the profile that you have, would you do anything differently? And if so... Um, is there any advice that you would give, you know, that, that, that the younger versions of you that you could perhaps extend to other hypnosis professionals of today? We used to think that, that hypnosis was like and hypnotherapy was like a quick fix so that we could kind of 
do change work on a client in one or two sessions, whereas mm. now we prefer to use um, a longer model of around 12 sessions, and we find that extremely beneficial. Just half an hour sessions with the, with the client once a week for 12 for three months, basically 12 times. Yeah, and we get so much feedback and. We, and I, I don't think, because you see, what happens is that you deal with one issue and then another one comes up maybe next week. And if you don't see that client next week, you don't really know. No. So we, we, we actually do see a real, a massive shift in our clients week by week. And then sometimes you also see a setback where they've had a setback, but because you can see them again, you can deal with that and yeah. then explain it and allow them to absorb it and just we find that much more effective so if we had to start over oh, again yeah. we would start mm. like this mm. I, I i must say i find that um that that's music to my ears because I, I think out there today there is there is such a proliferation of professionals wanting people and, and selling their services upon them happening so rapidly that i think you know often it, it could overlook you know a, a good holistic proper you know, depth of treatment plan that that's really useful for that person over a prolonged period of time. Um, now, tell me, um, what are your thoughts about evidence-based approaches to hypnosis? Well, I think it's great. I mean, the more evidence there is, the the more credible I think the field becomes. Yeah. As long as they don't try, you know, I don't. I don't believe that, you know, you have to be a doctor to be a hypnotherapist, for no. instance. No. Because I think that many people that aren't doctors, like ourselves, are very good hypnotherapists and understand that we've still done the study needed and everything to be able to understand the human mind and even maybe more so than doctors, like you said, many of our mm. clients are doctors. That's right. So, but any, any, uh, any, you know, any evidence is always good because I think it backs up, so. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and hey, you know, if, if everybody had to be doctors, I basically would not have a business today. So, uh, yeah. So thank goodness that we're not expecting that to happen. Um, now, wh where can people go? Where can people go to go and learn more about your work and, and about what you do? they can just google the english sisters and we come up otherwise they can come to our website hypnoramblings.com yep hypnoramblings.com and um, there's some lovely stuff on there i've spent a bit of time there myself <laughs> or our youtube channel but basically if they just google the english sisters they'll find yeah, us we're yeah. on twitter at english yeah, and what we'll do is um, um, under this week's episode, there will be links to all of these various different things for people to go and have a look at. Um, well, that's lovely. That's lovely. I feel that we've got to know a little bit more about you. And um, so thank you very much for that. And uh, we will be back with the English Sisters in a short while. And we're going to discuss and get, um, get under uh, the, the skin of their stress management approach. For now, thank you very much. Thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed today's interview. Now let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news, which this week is de dedicated to one particular story that's been making the headlines. Um, in the Telegraph, which you would expect to have a more sober perspective on such a story, it carries the headline, Hypnotist Thief Puts Shopkeeper in Trance 
before robbing him. Yes, it's that story. The vast majority of people in the hypnosis field will have seen it, uh, would have read it or encountered it in some shape or the other. Most other major newspapers here in the UK have given this story some coverage and they're all fairly similar with their current coverage. Before I do anything else, let me address the fact that the Telegraph uses the word trance in the title of their article and then assumes that trance and hypnosis are the same thing. They are not. Um, Stephen J. Lynn and Irving Kirsch, two of the most prolific contemporary researchers in the field of hypnosis and leading critics of the notion that hypnotist works by inducing an altered state of consciousness or trance, they write... The idea that hypnosis involves a trance state may be the most pernicious of popular ideas about hypnosis. Decades of research have failed to confirm the hypotheses that responses to suggestion are due to an altered state of consciousness, and as a result this hypothesis has been abandoned by most researchers in the field. Most knowledgeable scholars either reject the use of the term trance as misleading or use it in a sufficiently broad sense to include such commonplace experiences as being absorbed in an interesting move, conversation or daydream. That's Lynn, Lynn and Kirsch from 2006. So indeed, referring to hypnosis as involving a trance may actually appear to make people less hypnotizable. It may foster anxiety about loss of control and encourage um, hypnotic subjects to adopt an overly passive wait-and-see attitude, like hypnosis is being done to them. By contrast, researchers have generally found that subjects who actively imagine the things being suggested tend to respond better to hypnosis. So, for example, Lin and his colleagues found that when participants in an experimental study were told that it was necessary to enter trance to respond to hypnotic suggestions, they became less suggestible instead of more so. Now, I've added a link to this week's podcast page to an article that I wrote back in 2010 about the use of the term trance too. It's not wholly relevant to the discussion about this story. Um, so let's get back to the Telegraph's article. The Telegraph insists on referring to it as a Derren Brown style hypnosis that saw uh, a, a man apparently use hypnosis to... Um, to, to, to steal money from a shopkeeper. Last Friday, Darren Brown wrote on his Facebook wall, getting lots of journos wanting me to speak about recent hypnotist theft story. No desire to further sensationalise the story, so no, sorry. Now, I would hasten to add that Darren Brown is an entertainer who creates stunts and does tricks, and there's a lot of production and preparation involved in creating the impressive hypnosis effects seen on his television shows. All of which he does incredibly well, but is entertainment and involves less of the more academic explanation of what hypnosis actually is. So, for the Telegraph to frame the crime as Derren Brown-style hypnosis seems a bit unusual to the likes of myself. The Telegraph just assumes hypnosis is being used here. I think this is incredibly lazy journalism. It's sensationalist. I've watched the video on a number of occasions and I'm unsure what on earth would lead anyone to believe that hypnosis was being used here at all within this story, within this crime, so-called. Despite the Telegraph referring to the entire event as a bizarre hypnosis raid. Why are you calling it that, 
Telegraph. The Telegraph firstly state that the thief entered the shop and placed a bottle on the shelf. So no hypnosis there. Then they state that the thief tapped the shopkeeper on the shoulder. Again, nothing to do with hypnosis, no hypnosis there. Then they state that the thief raises his right fist and shakes it in front of the shopkeeper. Again, no hypnosis there then. Although the Telegraph claim that this left the shopkeeper mesmerised. Even there, mesmerism is not really anything to do with hypnosis other than being a historical precursor. But I kind of get the link they're making. The thief then reaches into the shopkeeper's pockets, takes his wallet and squeezes the shopkeeper's shoulder. He then walks out. Now where's the hypnosis there? The thief does make some other miming gestures while pointing at his tummy, but again, I fail to see how this has anything to do with hypnosis. Now, what cracks me up, and I'm sorry that I sniggered childishly at this, is that a friend of the shopkeeper is quoted as saying, we had no idea Aziz had been hypnotised. Well, exactly, because he most likely was not hypnotised. I think that the most bizarre thing about this story is that the Daily Mail here in the UK actually seem to have been more cautious about how they label the entire event. The Daily Mail's title of the story was Look Into My Eyes, Incredible Moment Thief Appears to Hypnotise Shopkeeper Before Rifling Through His Pockets While He Is In A Trance. Mmm look into my eyes in a trance. I mean, this, this reference to trance, and then, uh, then they go on to refer to the shopkeeper who falls into what appears to be a trance-like state, which is not what hypnosis is. Trance and hypnosis are not even synonymous. Now, the name of the shopkeeper, Mr. Hader, he's quoted in this story as saying, it was late and I was tired. I'm not sure, but it was like I was hypnotised. Okay. So, if he had experienced hypnosis before, he would know what hypnosis was like and would be able to say without doubt, I was hypnotised. But he says he was not sure. So he clearly has not been hypnotised before. If he has not been hypnotised before, how does he know that that's what happened? How does he know that's what went on in his shop and was anything to do with hypnosis at all? It is perhaps how we might imagine hypnosis to be based upon popular myth and misconception. Hypnosis is collaborative. It is a cognitive skill. You must actively participate in it. You are not wholly passive. You know, you're not a passive recipient of hypnosis. It is not done to you. It is not done on you. In fact, there are much better ways of getting people to do things they do not want to do than using hypnosis. The majority of thieves use fear and threats of violence to take money from shops, which definitely alters the mind state of the shopkeeper. In this instance, the shopkeeper even states that he, he was motionless throughout the process, which may give the impression, or at least potentially insinuates, that he was fearful himself. Now, from looking at the evidence, a lot of distraction seems to have been used, not just by looking at the video footage, but let's look at some of the other quotes. Mr. Hader, the shopkeeper, goes on to say, He said his wife was in trouble and needed someone to help her. Now, this smacks of distraction to me. He goes on to say, 
He was touching my stomach, saying, my wife is pregnant. It's an old trick of the professionals. Now then, if it is an old trick of the professionals, why are you classifying it as hypnosis? Now this next bit is crucial as far as I'm concerned, because he says, I was thinking, what should I give to him? Maybe he wanted water, tonic water. I feel really shocked by it. I thought, why is he touching me? But by that time, it was too late. So he openly states he was shocked. He was quite clearly slightly confused and he was appeared to be at least distracted. Some of these elements might be considered hypnotic in some quarters, but it is tenuous at best to say that hypnosis was somehow being wielded to commit this crime. The thief also acted totally usually. He was calm. He was assured. He assumed the outcome, which could be angled as a hypnotic behaviour and, and, and a hypnotic quality a la Clark Hull of 1933. And he clearly had a degree of expectation which, again, could be attributed to hypnotic theory. However, the shopkeeper himself had no expectation about it, and that's how expectation is explained in hypnosis, that the recipient had expectation at least equal to that of the, 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 the hypnotist. One of the other clips on the Daily Mail page is entitled Police Baffled Thief Who Apparently Hypnotised Victim. To me, there is very little that is apparent to suggest hypnosis, but I appreciate them putting the word in question marks. And this is the point, isn't it? The word hypnosis builds intrigue, gets readers interested, and it sensationalises the story. But at what cost? It perpetuates popular nonsense, myth and misconception about the field of hypnosis and what it's really about. Some might argue that there's no such thing as bad publicity for our field of hypnosis, and perhaps they'll argue it'll enhance the perception that people know it is a powerful tool. But I think this is a fairly weak defence. It misleads. These stories create a false impression that, in my opinion, puts as many people off what we are doing than actually promotes our field. Links to all of these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. The English sisters specialise in stress management in the workplace and the home environment. Let's hear them discuss and talk about what they do. So I'm joined once again by the English sisters and today we're going to talk about and look at their approach to stress management. Um, it's an approach which is gaining some really impressive plaudits around the world and I wanted to ask and, and really have a look at that. Now um, please tell me first of all, could you tell me a little bit about what what made you want to specialise in stress management and, and how did it come to be? Is it something that you set out to do or, you know, did it happen? Um, you know, did you get pulled in that direction through circumstance or, or how did it come to be? Tell us a little bit about the, the sort of background to this approach. Well, it came to be, I suppose, Adam, because at the time, in, at that particular time in our lives, we happened to be stressed. Right. I started to realize that stress was something that um, could be 
could be potentially quite serious and um, and it was something that we wanted to learn how to manage, I suppose, ourselves, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Well, we really, I mean, we couldn't even, before NLP and everything, we even found it quite hard to say the word stress, so that must show how stressed we actually were. Yeah. Even though yeah. there was no evidence of real signs of stress. So if you'd asked us individually, are you stressed? We'd probably say, no, we're not stressed. Mm. Mm. I, I've got to be honest. I cannot. I cannot imagine either of you being stressed. Well, <laughs> because we didn't look stressed. Sure. No, but I mean, even then. But we were stressed, and we actually recognise the fact that we were stressed. And I think if you ask, I think probably eighty percent of people on the planet are actually stressed right now. Mm. And some of them may not realise it, but they'll have symptoms of stress, like overwhelm or in a bad mood or physical symptoms yeah. like uh, high blood pressure headaches all that kind of stuff yeah nasty yeah. stuff you get from these kind of uh, stressful yeah quite stressful stuff in your body so yeah definitely so and so you 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 got some results with regards to yourself and um you were stressed out yourself and 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 you thought you know this is something that you'd like to go and share or how did it then sort of evolve into what it is today for change was our first book yeah and then afterwards we realized that it would be nice to write a book about stress because to help people with stress to become stress-free so mm. we wrote stress-free in three minutes yeah and then once we wrote the book we thought it would be quite a good idea to niche into uh into being sort of working with stress because yeah. if you think about it most things stem from stress yeah and it's also very easy to um to sort of um, to um, to help with clients because most of the time we we ask them if they're stressed and we get a positive response. Yeah. So it's 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 not an embarrassing thing to ask either, is it? No. So most people aren't really embarrassed to say yes, I am stressed. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's not got this taboo that perhaps some other psychological issues yeah, might have. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. If you, even if with children, if you have a child that maybe a teen that's wetting the bed and. You, and and you go to hypnotherapy for bedwetting. It's quite embarrassing, and I think it can even be quite psychologically difficult for the teen. Whereas if you if you take your teen to someone to help with stress and anxiety, it just seems like more normal. Yeah, we've had good results with that. Yeah. Having you know our stress nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, now, uh, you mentioned it. I, 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 we'll talk about some other elements as well, but you mentioned your book, Stress-Free, in three minutes. Um, um, and I, I love, I love this, this, this title. Uh, you know, it promises so much for people. I'm guessing that, um, I'm, you know, I'm guessing that it's, it's a really popular, you know, based upon that, it's really nice and popular. And um, um, can you perhaps, you know, obviously I don't want you to give things away um, um, because, I, you know, I'd recommend that people go and buy it. But what, what's the premise and what's the, what's the approach as far as this is concerned? The approach is that it's basically each little story is um, a hypnotherapeutic story which, access, which helps the, the reader access a relaxation response. Mm. without having to come and see us personally. Mm. It's a journey that they can go on on their own and they can read when they're feeling stressed and they'll immediately access this relaxation response, which is the exact opposite to the fight or flight or stress response. Mm. 
Mm. So, they so is that what is that is that due to a combination of things, or is there a kind of central element? Because I, I can imagine that distraction, distraction, sometimes you know can can help people reduce their stress, um, but perhaps doesn't really get to the nub of it. But the stories themselves have have a number of interventions in them, or language, or yeah, they've all got hypnotic language in them, which is going to immediately take the reader into that uh, relaxed state. Yeah, yeah. A lot of metaphors are in them. There's, uh, it's they're all completely embedded with uh, with commands for well-being, suggestions. Uh, suggestions, metaphors, all of it. Okay, so so, so therapists could use it as a manual. Oh yes, yes, yeah. They could be used as inductions. Right, right, great. Um, and and so and so, does that then? Does that then translate into some of the work that you do with your clients? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, when, we do, when we work with our clients, we have 30-minute sessions, and we usually go and see our clients because stressed people don't like to come and see, you know, take the time out of their calendar. They're usually quite busy, and they're usually quite stressed. And just the thought of having to make that appointment and go and see that person somewhere else is quite stressful. Them on Skype, obviously, but when yeah. we go, when we physically go and see our clients, it's um, it's quite relaxing for them. We get yeah. really great feedback saying, "Oh, it's really lovely that you come here. I probably wouldn't have come to you if I hadn't known that you would come to me because yeah. it's too hard for me to organise it into my day." Brilliant. And Brilliant. so they love that. Yeah, they love that. And then we use a combination. At first, we do about fifteen minutes, uh, getting the feedback and coaching and. NLP and all the tools we've got mm, and then mm. afterwards we put them into a comfortable state of uh, relaxation or trance for a few yeah. minutes where we work on we utilize what the what the client has given us in the in the session and what we feel will benefit them for the next for the next, for the next time we see them yeah yeah yeah. And so, um, um, with regards to your approach, I mean, recently you gave a presentation at a really, um, uh, a really sort of highly regarded um, medical audience. Um, um, can you tell us a little bit about 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 you know what what, what it is that you, you you present, what it is that you talk about, and um, the, the sort of crux about uh, uh, of your work and and how you present that information. Well, yes, like what you said, they're all doctors, and it was it was about um, how the skin, uh, the um, the stress response affects the skin, and that's yeah. what we were speaking about, and especially in the case of psoriasis, eczema, rosacea, acne, yeah. all these kind of skin diseases. And whereas, of course, all the doctors were talking about the medicines involved and the antibiotics, etc., we discussed the emotional aspects of. The, uh, the patient that is that does have these kind of skin disorders and we we gave an explanation of how the stress causes inflammation in the skin and how it can worsen and how our clients personally have um, shown great improvement with the use of hypnotherapy because the patients do access the relaxation response and um, they're a lot calmer. And I think they learn to take of their own lives and their own minds so they're not out of control because I think a lot of these skin conditions arise because the actual patient feels as if they can't control their lives it's, it's as mm. if 
you know, they haven't got this control that they need. So they they look for control in other ways which might be harmful to them. Like um, they might have, you know, obsessive compulsive disorders and other things that they're just desperately trying to grab onto something to take control of what isn't in control. Mm. So with hypnosis, hypnotherapy and all the tools that we have, we can gently lead our clients into having that sense of control so they yeah. can use what they're already doing in unhelpful ways to help them. Right? Yeah. yeah, they feel empowered and um, particularly in the case of this lady that we had with psoriasis, she, when she first came to us, she was psoriasis. We could almost say it was actually her identity. She mm. was very depressed and uh, she had suicidal thoughts and the psoriasis was covering 80% of her body. It was extremely right, bad. Yeah. And But by the end of the three months, she became, um, the psoriasis was, uh, it was still there, but it was less visible. Yeah. And what, what the most amazing thing is, is how her mental attitude had changed. Yeah. And how her, she was emotionally and how her life started opening up, which was incredible. Mm. So that's basically what we discussed in the uh, medical. Mm. Oh well, I mean, th 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 this is this is fascinating. I, I have a really, really big, um, invested interest in uh, the alleviation of skin disorders. So you know, it's it's wonderful to hear you talk about this and in, in, in that way. Um, yeah. Is there is there something central? I mean, I mean, I, I noticed, for example, um, um, you you featured in a lot of a lot of media and um, um, have have really interesting. Um, magazine articles for example when and if you're asked to give a kind of tangible technique or strategy is there something central to your work that you that you like to offer or that you give or that you teach your clients or that you like to share with magazines or things like that we like to share the fact that it is easy to change your state easily yeah the use of language and how how you talk to yourself basically so yeah so a lot of it, a lot of it is about, for example, teaching teaching your clients how to be more progressive with their internal dialogue. Yes, that's right. Mm. Yeah. So making them aware of the language they're using, of the language that's limiting them, it, it makes them aware of how they're really feeling. You see, just just explaining that you know one word might not be helpful. They might have been using that word all their lives. It's just they just have like breakthroughs all the time, and they just have like moments in the sessions it's so amazing to see it's so rewarding yeah and really teaching them that it is easy to access this hypnotic kind of state really easily and it's not really something that's really esoteric or really weird yeah yeah unusual it's a natural part of our everyday life just like when we took our first steps it's a natural part of everything we do Mm. And it's very exciting that, you know, we find it really exciting because we've only just discovered this like you know, eight or nine years ago. Mm. Whereas it would have been lovely, like we often say, if we'd been taught in schools, if we'd been more, if we're taught more about the mind and body and how we work in symbiosis and how one thing does affect something else. Because lots yeah. of people think that an illness, when they've got an illness, it's just something for a doctor to, you know, just to take charge of. Yeah. But you, really, you have to look inside yourself and say, well, how come I'm ill? What's happened? Am I run down? Am I stressed? You know, what part have I played in this 
less disease. Mm. And I think if we, t if we take things more holistically and see things as more of us at whole than, you know, than isolated episodes or incidences, we will be more empowered and we will heal and, you know, the world is a magical place. Yeah. Ah. Oh, I mean. I, I mean. I, I. I like to hear that. And I, I'm also really. You made reference to it. Um. In in our earlier interview as well, talking about um hypnosis being uh, more of an ordinary psychological process, an everyday type of thing. And this this really appeals to you know my stance with hypnosis. You know that that anybody can do it. Anybody can apply it. Apply it. And it's not so much a, a kind of magical, mystical, and as you said, esoteric thing. That actually, it's uh, you know, it's based upon more ordinary processes. So, you know, do you do you therefore equip your clients with those kind of skills to go and practice for them and apply for themselves? Yes, we do. We do. We, after each session, we usually give them something, something to do, like a little uh, a little task. Yeah. And they, which they generally respond to very well. Yeah. And, um, and I think after each session, they become more and more empowered. And we always tell our clients that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, so that they're just there and we're guiding them into this state of hypnosis. But they're the, but ones, they're the yeah. ones that are in hypnosis themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, and then we obviously we tell them that they can access that lovely state of calm relaxation at any time they need. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, which sometimes we give them anchors, but not that often, really. Sure. No. Sure, but but having them, you know, I mean, I, I, within my own work, I talk a great deal and I write a great deal about this notion of self-efficacy. That when people believe in their own ability to do things, they become easier to it becomes easier to actualize such things. Um, and, and and you know, I really get that from you and your work. That you know, you you, you help your clients to be convinced of their ability to help themselves. Um, um, and, and, and I really like that and I like the way that that's promoted within, within what you do you know um, um, I think um, um, you know you, 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 you offer up from what I can see um, you offer up quite a lot of humility with what you do and really give the, the, the client a great deal of, of power and control over their own condition mm. um, yeah, um, that's, that's, that's absolutely that's how we like to work yeah yeah Oh, well, I'm delighted to that. I mean, I'm fascinated. Um, one of the th I mean, th there's so many different sort of fragments and aspects of your work that I think we could probably make an entire episode out of. Um, um, but with, their, with regards to our time today, so thank you very much for coming and sharing, um, as you have done today, so generously. Um, um, for those people listening, you know, do go have a look at some of the books that we've been mentioning today, and um, I'll put some links to them in today's episode as well. Um, but the English sisters, thank you very much for coming and joining us on Hypnosis Weekly today. Thank you thank very you. much. It's a real pleasure. No, it's been the pleasure's been all mine. Thank you. Thank you. great discussion there um on plenty of useful information and a link to the english sisters websites are uh, over there at the hypnosis weekly website now then this week's hypnosis fact our factoid and it's a simple one this week and it is that the dissociation that neo dissociation model of Ernest Hilgard is one of the best known models of hypnosis but it is also one of the most open to attack 
due to its incomplete explanations and vague definitions. That's all our factoid is, that it happens to be one of the most open to attack. In 1977, Hilgard attempted to differentiate his explanation of hypnosis in dissociation terms by naming it neo-dissociation to differentiate it from the work of Janet. Hilgard's work developed and his neo-dissociation ended up seeming to mean several different things. In relation to hypnotic analgesia in 1975, Hilgard suggested that using hypnosis with a highly hypnotizable subject, pain reduction is essentially effortless. Whereas regarding his 1977 work, Hilgard suggested that in order to reduce pain, the subject must use considerable effort, initiative and ingenuity to achieve success. These contrasting predictions were mainly to do with whether dissociation is applied to control processes, which implied increased effortlessness, or to monitoring processes, which implied decreased self-awareness of effort. Now, I think dissociation theories are fascinating, I must say, but I think Hilgard's hidden observer and cloak of amnesia explanations are indeed open to major critique. Now then, if you want a reminder of our ongoing competition, do go and listen to either episode 8 or 9 of Hypnosis Weekly. Keep tuned for me using that special word, or perhaps I used it today. In our next edition, I'll be welcoming the one and only Dr. Mike Mandel, hailing all the way from Canada. I interview him and we'll be examining his approach to hypnosis. I have many more exciting guests here in future weeks. In particular, we'll be welcoming some really impressive academics and scholars to Hypnosis Weekly soon too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions, along with the related links, are posted at each episode episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions, questions, so please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website, and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered, and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else, and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks once again go to the English sisters. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.